We read in the Gospel of John, the historical account of the life of Jesus, that on that first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, the other women, found an empty tomb. They told the disciples, but at this point, they, they think the body has just been moved. Until Mary is there, crying in the garden, and Jesus appears to her. She thinks he's just the gardener. She doesn't yet recognize him until he says her name. And she cries out, teacher. He announces to her that, that he has been raised from the dead and will ascend into heaven. She sends him with the, the message to the disciples. Mary announces to them, I have seen the Lord. And then on the evening of that first day of the week, the resurrection Sunday, Jesus appeared to his disciples, showing them the evidence that he is physically, really, historically raised from the dead. And yet Thomas wasn't there. So a week later, Jesus returns. Thomas, who had questioned, well, this, this just can't be. Thomas, who said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands or put my finger where the, the, the spear pierced his side, I, I just can't believe it. And then Jesus appears, and Thomas cries out, my Lord and my God. And I'm just going to read two verses now, but two verses that are addressed directly to us, the readers of the gospel. Listen to the account from John's gospel, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let me invite you to bow your head as I pray. Our Father in heaven, we rejoice today in the miraculous sign which is presented to us of Jesus Christ, the Savior, raised from the dead. Lord, we we come now asking that your gospel would do the very thing which you intend, that you would give us faith to believe, to trust in you, that we today would receive the gift of eternal life. For those that have put their trust in Christ and yet feel weak and weary, that they would be renewed in their confidence in the gospel. Lord, for those that, that are here, maybe even trying to figure out why or how they, they ended up here today, Lord, that you would grant them the faith today to believe, that they would receive today the gift of life, of life through Jesus Christ. Father, we come praying in Jesus' name. Amen. The most frequently quoted movie of my childhood, The Princess Bride. I mean, that 1980s classic, a fairy tale adventure with the eponymous princess, along with pirates and poison. I mean, I mean, there's so many good lines in the movie. Vicini, who constantly says, inconceivable, finally to be corrected. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Or the, the, the preacher in the wedding service. Marriage is what brings us together today. I can hear my dad saying that at my sister's wedding. It was thankfully just at the rehearsal. 
Or even if you've never seen the movie, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Or the, the dumbest of all of the ones, but it gets stuck in my head. No more rhymes now, I mean it. And then Andre the Giant says, anybody want a peanut? Okay, that's probably enough, because I could do this for about an hour and 38 minutes, the length of the entire movie. But the movie, you remember, begins with a grandson who's home sick in bed, Fred Savage, before he wanders through those wonder years. And his, his grandfather, Columbo, arrives to, with a gift to read a story to him. But when he opens up the gift, he unwraps it, he looks at it, and he's like, a book? We're just going to read a book? But as the grandfather begins to read, the, the movie fades to the fabled land of the story. But there are a few times in the movie that we're sort of jarred out of the, the storyline, the fairy tale, back into the bedroom of the sick child the kid who's home from school, back to the grandson and grandfather. It's purposefully disorienting in the movie. There are times that you're sort of surprised, oh, right, yeah, there was a grandson and grandfather, because you've been caught up in the story of the, the princess and the pirate who is coming to her rescue. But we're in those moments being reminded what the story really means. The narrator interrupting to explain what's happening. Now, as we read through the Gospel of John, we are engrossed in the details of the historical account of Jesus' life. Jesus, the Son of God, the miracle worker, was betrayed by one of his closest friends. The religious leaders then hold a trial where they bring in false witnesses. They hand Jesus, falsely condemned, over to Pilate to be crucified. And Jesus is led to his death. And now, unexpectedly, in John 20, we, we meet Jesus raised from the dead. Mary meeting him in the garden outside the tomb. The disciples meeting him in a, in a locked room. Thomas, a week later, giving us that, that great announcement of faith when he looks at the risen Lord and says, My Lord and my God. And then John, the narrator, sort of stops the flow of the story and turns back toward us, the readers of the gospel. We're pulled out of the narrative from the fantastical scenes of history back into our ordinary lives, back into our moments of sickness, back into our bedrooms and relationships. Not out of a fairy tale, but out of the truest story of all. Because John directly talks to us at this moment in the gospel. When we finally reach the point where, where we understand who Jesus is, why he came, what he's done for us, and, and then John says, oh, but this was for you. I, all of this was written down with a specific purpose in mind, not just to sort of keep you entertained. I mean, that's the purpose of the grandfather and the princess bride is to keep him entertained while he's home sick. No, John says it directly to us. This is written that you might believe. And that by believing you would have life. Look, look again at verses 30 and 31. Right after, right after Thomas exclaims, My Lord and my God, Jesus says, Blessed, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then John turns his attention toward us in verse 30. Verse 30. 
of John 20. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so I want to walk us through, just just using the, the real simple outline here that John has given us. First, by looking at the miraculous signs, then by, by looking at, at what we're called to do, and then what does that give to us. The signs are meant that we might believe so that we would receive life. Because John began his gospel by telling us exactly who Jesus is. He, t- he, he begins this historical biography. The word gospel just means good news. But as a a historic record, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John written down for us. John written after the church has already had opportunity to read and and utilize uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so so he says, okay, I don't need to give you everything. Let Let me give you some of the signs that will tell you who Jesus is. But so that we're, we're not confused, he begins right up front in John 1 telling us who Jesus is. That Jesus is... God himself, God who came to dwell with us, the one who comes so that if we believe in him, we may become children of God. And then John develops this account of Jesus' life by giving us signs, miracles that are meant to point us toward the truth of who Jesus is. The, The first miracle of Jesus seems so ordinary in John's gospel. Back in chapter 2, Jesus is at a wedding feast, and there is no wine for the celebration. They have run out. And so Jesus turns water into wine. It seems so ordinary. And yet we're supposed to see the glory of Jesus in this miracle. In John 2, 11, this is, this is the explanation that the, the, the gospel writer gives to us. John 2, 11, he says this, the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. So it's a sign pointing us to a deeper truth that Jesus is the true bridegroom who will one day give us a feast greater than anything you could imagine. And and John says, what are we supposed to do with this? John 2.11, Jesus thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. The sign points to the glory of Jesus, and the response is a response of faith. Because the signs aren't, aren't, aren't to point to, to merely an individual miracle of, wow, that was kind of cool. I mean, that's a better magic trick than anything I've ever, I've ever uh, uh, seen. No, they are meant to point us to the fact that, that Jesus is the one who has come from heaven. It, it's, it's pulling back the curtains of heaven and letting us see the glory of Jesus shine through. Jesus in all of his glory, and we are meant to respond in faith, to put our trust in him. The signs are meant to move us from unbelief or from doubt or from questions or from ignorance to faith. We move from from trusting ourselves to saying, wow, look at the glory that was just revealed, just a glimpse of the greater glory of Jesus. I believe in him. As the, the gospel continues, Jesus heals a, 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 a royal official. He, he comes to him. He heals the son of this royal official. He's sick, and he begs Jesus to come along. And, and Jesus tells the, the crowds, unless you see miraculous signs and wonders, 
you will never believe. The, the father begs, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus, in that moment, performs a miracle. You may go, your son will live. And then John explains to us what, what happened. That as the father is traveling home from, from having run to, to bring Jesus home, he, as he's traveling home, his, his servants have come to say, your, your son has been healed. And in John 4, the end of John 4, this is what we read. The father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. You and I are meant to see in the miraculous sign the healing at a distance of this son on his deathbed. We are meant to see the glory and power of Jesus. And like the Father, we are meant to respond in belief, put our trust in Jesus. Now, John's gospel continues with, with more miracles, the healing of a man who had been unable to walk for 38 years, and yet Jesus tells him, get up, and he walks. Jesus himself walking across the water, a, a crowd of 5,000 gathered before him without food, and Jesus miraculously feeds all of them. Jesus, in, in John 9, healing a man who had been born blind, not only showing compassion to the man, but, but teaching his disciples the truth of who Jesus is. And then in John's gospel, all of these initial signs are, are, are taking us to Bethany, to the tomb of the good friend of Jesus, the tomb of Lazarus. We heard these words as our, our call to worship this morning at the very beginning of our worship service. But Jesus arrives there and speaks with the sisters, Mary and Martha, the sisters who, who are mourning the death of their brother. And Jesus, in John 11, says to, to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, Jesus is about to perform the miraculous sign. He's, he's sort of setting the stage. What are we meant to see when he calls Lazarus out of the tomb? That Jesus is the one who has power over life and death, that in him we will find resurrection. The, the, the life which will last forever when we will be raised from the dead, incorruptible, with hope of God's eternal kingdom. And Jesus asks Martha, do you believe this? These miraculous signs in John's gospel are gathered together. John tells us that, that there, there, there are more. I, I didn't write them all down. He'll tell us in the next chapter, actually, if, if we tried to write them all down, it would, it would take too long to explain. I, I don't even think all the books of the, the world could contain the, the glory and the majesty and the power that we see in these signs. But in John 20, Jesus said, or John says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe. These miraculous signs have been gathered together so that you would see who Jesus is. The one with power and authority, the one with the, who, who can work miracles, the one who can raise the dead. And in John 20, we have the, the ultimate miracle in this gospel. All of these miracles have been building to this moment that you would understand who Jesus is so that in his death on the cross, 
you would realize your sins are forgiven. And that in his empty tomb, in his resurrection from the dead, we have the great miracle that we need. The greatest miracle in John's gospel is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins, but Jesus is not dead. He appeared to Mary. He appeared to the disciples. He appeared to Thomas. These signs are meant to point us to the truth that Jesus is God's son. Jesus has power over all. And what Jesus has taught is proved true by these miracles. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Death itself has been conquered. So that's what the signs tell us. That's what they point us to. And then John says, well, how are you meant to respond? You're meant to respond the way the disciples did at the first miraculous sign. You're meant to respond the way the father did whose son was healed at the second miraculous sign. You are meant to respond the way the, the man who, who had been blind responded by trusting in Jesus. You are meant to respond the way that Martha and Mary did at the tomb of their brother by believing that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That's what John says. He pulls us out of the story and, and says, I'm talking to you right now, you the reader of this gospel. These are written that you may believe. Not just that you would understand the story, that you'd be able to recount it, that you would understand what the historical significance of this holiday is on the calendar. On the calendar. No, he says, these are written that you may believe. That everyone who reads this gospel, that everyone who hears the account of what Jesus has done would personally respond in faith. That you would believe that Jesus is the Christ that he is the Son of God. To call Jesus the Christ is to call him the Messiah, the anointed King of Israel, the one sent by God to rescue his people, to usher in a kingdom which will last forever. Jesus is the King. Jesus is God's Son. You and I are meant to understand that when Thomas cried out, my Lord and my God, finally someone gets it right. Finally, somebody fully understands what we were meant to believe all along. And, and it's not just for Thomas to believe. This is for you to believe. Do you? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the very Son of God who gave his life for you? Now, here's the thing. It's true whether you believe it or not. You believing it doesn't make it true. It is true, and so you're called to believe it. But, and that is an encouragement for those of us who are believers, who feel like our faith is weak. The truth of what Jesus has done for you doesn't depend on the strength of your faith. If you come in here today sort of dragging yourself through life, feeling like you can't take another step, let me tell you the good news. Jesus has been raised from the dead, and this was written that you may believe and have eternal life. The truthfulness of the gospel does not depend on how strong my faith is. 
The truthfulness of what is read to you doesn't rest upon the eloquence of today's sermon or whether or not I could keep your attention all the way through. It is true. Will you believe it? Even when my faith is weak, my Savior is strong. And these miraculous signs prove his power. And so that can be an encouragement to you if you have put your trust in Christ. But if you have not, then this is a challenge today. A challenge for you to believe. To not ask, am I comfortable with it? Do I like it? Does it fit into my life? To actually stop and say, is it true? Did it really happen? Because if it didn't, none of what I said today matters. Nothing we've done today matters. Actually, basically nothing matters. But if it is true, believe. I mean, the evidence is right here. John has piled up miracle after miracle. He, he knows you've already read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and you've seen, but yet you, you know there are other miracles, ones that he skipped over because, well, he's just picking a few to give you a selection of what kinds of things did Jesus do. Jesus had power to, to heal a man who had been born blind. Jesus had power to make a man who had been unable to walk for decades stand and walk. Jesus had power to call out Lazarus, come forth, and a dead man got up out of a tomb. And Jesus was raised from the dead. So you and I can hear the testimony of the disciples. Jesus told Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are the, all those who have not seen and yet have believed. So you and I, we haven't seen the miracles ourselves, but we've heard them explained to us. We've heard the testimony of what is true. And we can trust this testimony. I mean, just think of some of the details that, that are thrown into this account. That if, if the disciples conspired together to move the body, to sort of convince people that Jesus had been raised from the dead, they would have, well, they would have written the details differently if it were made up. First, the initial witnesses to the resurrection wouldn't have been Mary and the other women who saw Jesus. Now, I, 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 I'm, I'm not trying to say anything that is sexist. I'm saying in the ancient world, they wouldn't have trusted women as witnesses, and so they wouldn't have made up the first witnesses to be women, because you in the ancient world would have said, well, that's ridiculous. But God entrusted this message to the women who came to the tomb. I mean, where are the men? They're hiding away, locked in a room. I mean, these disciples on the first day of the week aren't waiting for the resurrection. They, from Friday and Saturday into Sunday, think everything is lost. And actually, that detail itself, the fact that the disciples are still in hiding on the day of the resurrection, that doesn't look terribly well for, for them if they were making it up. I mean, if you're going to make up the story and you want everyone to believe, you can, I mean, you can believe me, Jesus was dead, but he's alive now. I mean, I'm reliable. I've known it all along. I mean, from the very first time I met him and heard him say this, I've been telling you all this. No, what they do is tell us the truth. This is so outrageous that I wouldn't have believed it unless I'd seen it. Now, in these first days after the resurrection, the disciples are still afraid, but these disciples' lives are transformed by the resurrection of Jesus. 
that because Jesus has been raised from the dead, they are willing to risk their lives for the truth of the gospel. In the coming weeks, their lives will be threatened. One of them will be killed rather quickly after the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And history tells us that all of them, except maybe John who wrote this down for us, that all of them were martyred for what they believed. See, they were transformed by the truth. The reason that John records all of this for us is because he says, I, I, I stood there and watched the signs and didn't understand what they were pointing toward until Jesus was raised from the dead. Then I understood his glory at that wedding feast in Cana. Then I understood his glory at the tomb in Bethany. Then I understood the glory of Jesus at the empty tomb outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Will you believe what you hear today? The signs tell you exactly where to look. Look to Jesus. Believe in him. Put your trust in him. So the signs are meant to be believed. And what do we receive when we believe? John explains it in John 20, verse 31. These miraculous signs are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. When you believe, you receive the gift of life. And, and in John's gospel, he, he means eternal life, everlasting life, which, of course, in some sense, describes how long it will last, that it lasts forever. It's eternal. But more than that in John's gospel, it, it's meant to point us toward the kingdom of Jesus, which will last forever, which becomes ours now. When you put your trust in Jesus, you declare him to be king, and he takes control and, and power of your life, but he gives you the gift of eternal life. Peace with God, blessing from God. I mean, if you've, if you've only heard part of John's gospel— there's one verse that you've surely heard. It was back in John chapter 3, verse 16, as Jesus offers the gift of eternal life to a, a man who's come to him in the, under the cover of darkness. Jesus explains, and, and John announces to us what the purpose and plan of God was. In John 3, 16, we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And now John says, I piled up all those miracles so that you would know that that's true. That you would know the very reason that God sent his son is because he loves you. Even in your rebellion, in your filth, in your hatred of God, God loves you. And he sent his son to die for you. The beloved son of God, Jesus the Christ, died in your place. And if you put your trust in him, you receive, John tells us, the gift of eternal life. You will not die. Death will not be the end of you, but you will gain the gift of eternal life. Peace with God, relationship with God, if you put your trust in Jesus. See, to believe and to receive life, that's the very reason that John wrote down everything here in his gospel. That's the whole point. The receiving eternal life by faith 
One commentator says, that's the summary of the entire Gospel of John. You are meant to see who Jesus is, believe in him, and receive eternal life. John has interrupted the the narrative flow of these resurrection appearances to say, wait, wait, stop and listen to me. The the reason that I'm talking to you, the reason I've written this down, the reason that I've given my, my life for the sake of this gospel, that I've seen my fellow disciples martyred and die is because of what Jesus has done. These miraculous signs are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And that by believing, you may receive eternal life. This eternal life is right here, today, offered to you. Is it yours? Do you believe? Have you turned from trusting yourself and turned to where the signs have been pointing you all along? To Jesus the one who, full of glory and grace and truth, came and gave himself for you. Life is offered to you today through the life of Jesus, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection from the dead. Believe in him, and you will receive the gift of eternal life. When the heroes and the princess bride need help, they go to Miracle Max. A down-on-his-luck miracle worker. They leave with a chocolate-covered magic potion, and Miracle Max shouts to them, have fun storming the castle, and his disagreeable wife says to him, do you think it'll work? He whispers to her, it would take a miracle. Now, of course, in fairy tales, we're taught to expect miracles but not in real life. In real life, we get to the place where we say, I don't see any hope here. Unless, could it be true? The miraculous signs point us to the glory of Jesus. The tomb is empty. His resurrection brings us life, not in a fairy tale, but here and now, in the pain and the sorrow and the sadness of life. Think it'll work? It would take a miracle. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, we thank you for making yourself known. You did not abandon us in our sin or our rebellion, but you told us what it looks like to believe in you. You accomplished all that was necessary that we may gain eternal life, not through any goodness in us, not through any any response of religious observance, but really and only by believing in Jesus, by throwing ourselves upon your mercy You are gracious and give us the gift of eternal life. God, you sent your son, the one who performed the miracles that confirmed his glory and your power. And in his death on the cross, he paid for our sins. You've raised him from the dead. So we rejoice in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ, our king, 
We rejoice in the name of Jesus, who is your Son, our Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.